think of a better place to end the street in Death Valley, South Carolina, baby. Guys going down, guys stepping up. That's what football is all about. And they say we can't do it. What they say now? Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. This is your host, Nick, and I'm joined tonight by guest Alex Kraft. Alex, how you doing? Doing well. How's it going, nerds? Yeah, BYOA, bring your own air horn. <laughs> glad to have Alex on, glad to have his air horn uh, sound effects. Feel free to drop those in or any other audio clips whenever you want, Alex. Um, but we are, we are in the, the depths of the offseason here. Spring practice is about to start, so I thought it'd be a good time for us to catch up. Uh, it's actually been a while since we've had you on the show. I think it was right around the Louisville or Virginia Tech game last time we chatted. That's right. Yeah, for sure. Um, that last one was a video interview. Uh, yeah. I'm, sorry to dis- I'm sorry to disappoint your over-eager Twitter <sighs> followers with audio only this time, but uh, here we are, just, uh, just the, the voice at this wow. point. My reputation precedes me, apparently. Now, you are a troll, aren't you? <laughs> definitely. <laughs> always. Um, well, Alex, uh, definitely happy to connect, uh, get you on here to talk about a little bit of your off-season thoughts um, about Clemson. We'll touch a little bit, I hope, on how last season ended up. But really, let's keep this focused on the future. Future's still bright for our beloved Tigers. Before we get into football, though, I wanted to ask you a little bit about Game of Thrones. Um, Game of Thrones, huh? All right. Pretty big fan. It's been a while actually since the last season ended, but I was gonna go Star Wars, but uh, my co-host Cody convinced me that Game of Thrones was more relevant to our audience here. So cool. let's go there. Um, real quick though, spoiler alert uh, for those who have not seen the season seven finale. Feel free to jump ahead about two minutes on the pod. Um, give you time to do that. Okay, great. So Alex, talk to me here. What do you think was the bigger head scratcher from a plot standpoint? Going to catch a white thinking Cersei would just buy into some alliance. Or taking dragons north of the wall where the Night King could just capture one. Uh, all of the above. All of the above. I'm, you know, for people who've read the books, they know that uh, the Night's Watch tried to bring a white south to King's Landing in the very first book, and no one bought it then. Um, so to me, that kind of seemed like a, a retread of a of a plot line, which really went nowhere. Yeah. Um, so that was that was dumb from that perspective. But you know, taking a, a dragon north, you know, as as fans of the show, I think we all kind of expected that at some point. And then for them to do it was just, yeah, okay, they're they're just cutting corners to wrap things up. They're they're just you know, quality of the show has, has dropped off a cliff since they ran out of book material. I think. Uh, there were a few bright spots at the end of season six, um, Battle of the Bastards, and then, you know, uh, Cersei blowing up the whole freaking city was amazing. But other yeah. than that, you know, the past two seasons have been, and even to even season five to a lesser extent, I, it just weren't up to par, I don't think. Um, I feel like it peaked in season three and season four, and they're just trying to wrap things up. You know, they've, they've gotten so far ahead of, of the book material now that they're just like, okay, let's let's move on. Let's get this over with. We've got other things to do. 
and the yeah. quality suffered. And I think you've also you heard some of the criticisms of this last season be, you know, it's taking them not a lot of not a lot of show time necessarily to travel long distances around mm-hmm. around Westeros. So uh, I think you're right. Um, the sort of with the taking the dragon north of the wall, I kind of equate it to agreeing to play a game at Alabama. Only after we lose, they get to keep one of our key defensive linemen, like Dax or Cleveland Farrell. That was like the downside on the uh, taking the dragon north. Yeah, she didn't even need to take three. She just needed one, really. But, you know, Mm got to move the plot forward. And that was the way to do it. Well, I guess we'll uh, we'll have plenty of time here to, I guess it's not until 2019 that we'll be able to see the final few episodes. A year and a half. All right. Counting down. Maybe we'll have a book by then, but I doubt it. Yeah, probably not. Um, Well, cool. We got our Game of Thrones quota in uh, for this pod. So thank you all. Uh, Spoilers are over. Uh, So back to Clemson here, Alex. We're really about a good month, six weeks or so into the offseason. Spring practice is going to start up this week. Um, But I wanted to talk a little bit about the 2017 season. And I noticed we did not get an Alex Kraft Sugar Bowl review. Hmm. Uh, that can really only lead me to one conclusion, and that is that you did not actually watch the game. Um, how do you defend this decision? Uh, well, uh, there was some stuff going on in my personal life. I had a pretty bad ski accident a couple of days before the game, and I was a little bit doped up during the game, which actually made it somewhat easier. And, you know, the game really went about how most people would have expected given the lack of a, of a passing game, which is what you need to really stress Alabama. And we didn't have that. So, you know, eventually defense just couldn't do it. You know, field position was an issue. Turnovers became an issue and then it snowballed. And I just wanted to flush that game from my system. I was like, you know, I'm turning the page on it. There's no point in reviewing. There's nothing schematically head scratching or, or groundbreaking where, where there's really worth another look. Uh, it would, you know, just be an exercise in self-hatred if I were to review that. So I said, I'm done with this. I'm flushing it. Don't want to think about the game. Moving on, off-season mode. And hey, it's gone by quickly. We're already here, and it's time for spring practice, which is a much more optimistic, <clears throat> optimistic time. And hey, hopefully we won't, we won't play Bama again because they are going to be just as monstrous this year, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I Just like the, uh, the 2015 National Championship game, have not brought myself to rewatch this one. Don't know that I will. Um, you know, there's definitely some things you can go back and kind of pick apart, but really there's, there's really only one that I think is relevant to the future as we've talked about. And I think that has to do with the starting quarterback position and the play that we got out of that. Definitely want to touch on that with you as we get into the spring discussion here, but um, just maybe taking a look at the season as a whole, like where did this end up against what your expectations were going in? Uh- about in line. Uh, I didn't see a clear loss on the schedule going in. I figured maybe a trap game like NC State or South Carolina. Just kidding, not South Carolina. <laughs> I figured NC State was the most likely loss. Um, in, at some point in the middle of the season, I really thought we would lose to Georgia Tech. You know, following Syracuse, I really thought Georgia Tech would give us a lot more trouble than they did. Uh, I think the weather ended up affecting them more than it affected us because that was a downpour, remember? Um, yeah. I was yeah. in the field for that game, and I was just, you know – uh, sinking through the field, basically, you know, it was a good thing I had bean boots on. Otherwise I would have just been, you know, you've been lost. I would have had trench foot by the end of that game. Um, but, you know, losing to Syracuse was a surprise, but, you know, we were without, you know, the, the main part of our offense in a, a 
dual threat quarterback in that game. And once Syracuse realized Bryant was not going to run, I remember there was one play early in the second quarter or late in the first where he just really just not barely even jogged out of bounds on a scramble when he had yards to gain. And I think after that, Syracuse just said, we're going to blitz this guy until we knock him out. And that's what happened. And I, I don't think either of the backups were prepared. Or uh, no, Johnson didn't even play in that game, did he? It was all Cooper. No, nope. zero snaps. Yep. Yeah, it was it was all Cooper, and that was that was a head scratcher. But you know, the season really went about as expected. Bryant was better than I thought he would be. Um, not that I thought he would be supplanted. Um, you know, after the spring game, I thought he looked, if not the best, and certainly the the least incapable. And uh, I was all aboard the Bryant's going to start the whole season train after the spring game. Uh, that turned out to be the case. And, you know, he, he played extremely well, pretty much beat Auburn by himself. Uh, well, offensively, at least he beat Auburn by himself. He had a little help <laughs> from the defense. Yeah. Um, and I, I was pleased with his play all year. Uh, really, the only times he, were, he was lacking was, you know, the NC State game for a while. He played rather poorly, but he turned it on in, in the second half. And, and, you know, that game shouldn't have been as close as it was, but uh, State had a good game plan. Um, I think our laptops on the sideline may have helped out quite a bit considerably. And I think they, the laptops uh, really led to that final interception. I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, we had Juan Wallace. Had it was really the laptops, right? Oh, you know, I was I was in Raleigh for that game, and uh, we were in the in one of the Clemson sections in the corners, but it's still fairly blended. And I remember there was this one State fan who was wearing. You know, he had the, those white-rimmed Oakleys, and he was wearing them on the back of his head after the sunset. Just, you know, gym shorts, that sort of that sort of guy. Not in shape, though. Not what you would think. And he wanted to turn around and fight anyone in orange at the end of that game. And I was just laughing at him. I mean, I didn't want him to fight me because I wouldn't want to, you know, hurt anyone. But I was just laughing at him, honestly. And, you know, I was next to my grandmother and all sorts of family. So I'm just like, all right, buddy, pick one of these people to fight. You're, you're like – You've got three generations of Clemson people around you, most of whom are old, and you look like a real tool. But I digress. Um, it's a microcosm game. That was their football game. Successful point of the season for me, besides you know the Syracuse loss. But uh, it feels different when you're in the stadium, especially when you're on like on the road and you're surrounded by hostile people. Um, but Bryant came through at the end, and you know everything else really went about, about as expected. Uh, beating Miami was not a surprise in blowout fashion. Yeah. Um, losing to Bama was not a surprise. Uh, I can't really complain with anything from Bryant or the team in general from what I saw all year. Yeah. It struck me. I mean, certainly Clemson was in the position to have earned the number one seed, Mm -hmm. um, but it didn't necessarily feel like throughout the course of the year, we were the best team in the country necessarily. Um, You know, I, I think you could look back and say, uh, it's it's tough the draw we got having to play Alabama. Yeah, I'm not sure. sure how this team would have fared against either the other two opponents. I think we we would have taken both of them. Probably would have been super competitive game though, mm-hmm. um, depending on what how they would would have schemed against Kelly. But uh, yeah, we just got the raw deal. You get Alabama, and you know they they're much a much more motivated team I think this year than they were maybe a year ago. Uh, just just having come off of a loss and yeah different personnel that kind of thing but um, anyway uh, yeah kind of sucked but I think again like we talk about perspective like this season I think exceeded a good amount of at least my own expectations and a lot of our fan base um, seeing how quickly we could put together offensive proficiency we lost a lot of a lot of our talent there Um, so there's definitely kind of like pockets of exceeding expectations but I I think I expected us to be 
in the semis at the very least in our season okay. predictions as well. Yeah, once uh, once Florida State fell off a cliff, once they lost Francois in the opening game, it was you know the ACC was there for the taking. Uh, the only real threat at the time looked like it might be Louisville, but uh, very early in the season, I started watching them just to prepare for that game, and I saw Louisville on film, and I was like, "Good lord, this defense is trash." Yeah, they are a one-man team, and it is going to get ugly, and uh, it did. But you know, back to your point about being number one seed Clemson certainly did deserve it, but I'm with you. I never felt like we were the best team in the country all year. Um, It was really just somewhat of a, a down year for college football in general. There were not any elite teams, Um, even Alabama as good as they, you know, national champion. I I don't think they should have been in the playoff based off of merit. I think they got in based on reputation. And of course, you know, if you look at it that way, if you look at it as the top four teams, yeah, sure. Bama obviously was one, I don't think they deserve to get in. Um, and I think we got shafted by having to play them. And I would have much yeah. rather been the two or three seed in that regard, because like you said, I think Clemson would have beaten Georgia or Oklahoma. But well, how much, how much of that, A, it's Alabama, B, it's Nick Saban. That's like one A, one B. But also the result of the previous three years where the semi game was very much a blowout in almost all three of those, mm-hmm. in, in both matchups in all three years. You know, we, we talked about it at the time. Is the committee's duty to set up the best matchups as well? The best viewing experiences, the least likelihood for a blowout. Um, I don't know. I I think there's not really any world in which you're going to expect Alabama to get blown out. No, um, the committee would tell you no. They pick strictly based off of who they think the best four teams are, and they choose that based on criteria, which they say conference championships matter. But you know, then. Who was it? Penn State would have been in, or was it Ohio State? Ohio State. Ohio yep. State. And, uh, you know, Alabama was essentially rewarded for losing to Auburn. They were, because then they got a bye during the championship week, and they just had to sit back and wait for one team to lose. And sure yep. enough, they got in. So don't get me wrong. Yep. They're certainly the deserving national champion. I feel like they were the best team in the country once they benched Jalen Hurts, uh, which was long overdue, if you ask me. But – well, in a way, funny twist of fate. Um, that could be the the public benching that hopefully can convince Dabo he needs to make that move. Uh, that that it's been done before, right? Yeah, you know, I think that is the only way Clemson beats Alabama or Ohio State if we're in the playoff this year is if Trevor Lawrence or Hunter Johnson plays. But this schedule is so easy this year that I don't think anyone is going to really challenge Clemson enough. Uh, whether Bryant struggles or not, I don't think anyone will really challenge Clemson enough to force Dabo to bench his senior, who's the most popular guy on the team. I don't really see Lawrence or Johnson taking over unless it is literally a repeat of Georgia-Alabama, where we aren't getting anything done against a defense where we have to throw to win, and then Dabo rolls the dice like Saban did with Tua. I really think that's the only way that there is a quarterback change this season. One, because of Dabo's track rather record with seniority, and two, because I mean, Bryant's fine. He really is. And much like Alabama this past season, we can do what we did last year and just run through everyone without really much of a fuss because this is probably the easiest schedule I've seen us have in, goodness, since before conference expansion. Yeah, it's it's not not great. And, you know, we scheduled Texas A&M thinking, look, this would – it's a program on the rise. Kevin Sumlin pretty much put together nine, ten win teams all along, recruiting at a blue chip level um, for the most part. Past few years, but uh, wheels came off that one a bit. 
we get our friend Jimbo back, but you know, he runs a complex offense. Uh, this is his first season. We get him in week two. So I think that one can be a little easier probably than most expect, although we'll see. Um, and then really uh, throughout the Atlantic, throughout the, the coastal matchup is Duke. Um, yeah, it really sets up nicely. Um, I want to unpeel kind of your comments there because there's kind of a, a lot involved. Maybe let's go back and start with Kelly. Um, you know, I, we could touch on what what are his perceived or really uh, seen shortcomings. Um, are any of those things areas that you've seen or you believe a quarterback can develop? Maybe we can start with like uh, accuracy or pocket presence, decision making, running through his progressions, that kind of thing. Yeah, well, any- I don't think you can teach accuracy. You either have that or you don't. Uh, but pocket presence, uh, run, going through progressions, yeah, he can improve on all of that. And in fact, I expect an improvement. Um, there should be a pretty big jump between year one and year two as a starter. Uh, and not to mention he's been in the same system for, you know, this will be the fourth year now. And it's one that's tailored to his strengths. We run plenty of RPOs where he makes one quick read, whether he's going to throw, throw a slant uh, behind like a strong safety who's coming down to, you know, get a run fake or handoff or keep. Um, so we, we definitely run the offense to his strengths. It's just, you know, we ran into a machine in Alabama where we weren't equipped to, to handle that. Um, but again, you know, we won't play a defense like that again until the playoff, you know, Florida state should be better on defense this year. Um, they're actually schematically going to look a lot like Clemson on offense and defense, uh, with Willie Taggart and their new defensive coordinator. Uh, so I do think that will ultimately be the toughest game of the season, but I feel like that roster is still a year away from adjusting like it needs to but you know then again they've got all that florida talent so maybe they'll churn out an amazing spread in no time at all like we did in 2011 yeah i think a point you were making earlier was really unless we face not only a proficient defensive line or defense but almost the elite top three in the nation of ohio state alabama you can you can win with kelly bryant and it could be you know we cruise through our schedule, we may not have to face either of those teams. Um, they, they're in conferences that are both uh, have kind of a, a middle class that's moving up a, up a tier. So you got Penn State, potentially Wisconsin, bringing a lot of talent back. And then in the SEC, got the rise of Georgia. We'll see what's going on with Auburn. Uh, but yeah, I'm not saying that Ohio State or Bama are definitely not going to make the playoff, but um, you know, we may have the easier path of all of those. So yeah, there's no doubt about that. We have, I think we have the easiest path that we could possibly hope for. Um, you know, all the games are on Saturday. There are no back-to-back road games. In fact, there are no back-to-back home games either. It's, it's, you know, every other weekend it's home game and away game, home game and away and toughest games in Tallahassee. A&M would be a, will be a fun trip. Um, but you know, it's, it's a pretty easy home schedule. Uh, Duke, like you said, South Carolina, NC state, you know, those are the three maybe decent games at home. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think you've, you've kind of answered the question, like, can Kelly Bryant improve? I think the answer is yes. Maybe we haven't seen his peak, but yeah. ultimately I think we've seen, we know where his ceiling is, I Wait, guess, is the point. And the is, question, that, is that ceiling high enough to beat Alabama or Ohio State? I don't think so right now. But yeah. I, again, I, I, the other question is basically, is is it really a matter of opportunity cost with the guys behind him on the depth chart who they you know they don't have the experience either they have different shortcomings but ultimately they might have the higher upside against those elite defenses mm-hmm. with the talent they they present 
And yeah, the, the we'll further than all game in the second half. That's exactly that's exactly uh, the scenario I see unfolding. If Clemson does ever make a change at quarterback, it's either because of injury or because we're running into a monster in the playoff and we can't get it done on the ground. What likelihood, Alex, do you think there is, knowing that we have a, a cupcake schedule, that Dabo or offense coordinators will try to get reps for Hunter Johnson or Trevor Lawrence, um, knowing that maybe we're playing with leads or – Maybe they can afford to get one of those guys in there for extended extended drives um, in the first half, let's say. Oh, yeah. He'll do that whenever possible. Uh, one, that's always been his thing, his MO. He doesn't really want to run up the score. He wants to you know, let everyone play, uh, mainly to build depth. And uh, especially as our recruiting has gotten better and better, uh, where it's more and more likely that we'll have players go pro after three years, we're seeing red shirts foregone in favor yeah. of just – a mere 100 snaps a season, which I don't necessarily think is wise. I think if you're only getting 100 or even you know 150 snaps a season, you're better off redshirting. Especially on the on the line. Yeah. Oh yeah, on the line for sure. Yeah, but yeah. Um, with guys like Trevor Lawrence, it's like if you redshirt him, then you're pretty much limiting yourself to two years with him instead of three because you know he's going to go pro. Like Jester right. Lawrence, for example. Let's say let's say Lawrence didn't crack the top five or the, the depth chart a year ago because of injury or something. If we had redshirted him, we would essentially have just had, you know, two years at most. So, so take the three or four games that you would have played no matter what and just take the, the contribution in those games and call it good. Like you basically put the three-year clock on those guys. Yeah. Um, and you say, why, why, would I, why would I redshirt this guy when he's not going to use that extra year anyway? May as well get him a few hundred snaps while I can. Let him see the field, even if it's just, yeah, a hundred snaps. That's a hundred snaps of experience. Going into his, you know, second year, his third year. Well, and what I was going to introduce was kind of a third scenario. You mentioned injury. You mentioned we get in that that tight game in a playoff scenario, or we're fighting for our lives in an ACC title game to make the playoff. Um, who knows who we face in that scenario? But um, it, is it possible that in those hundred snaps or garbage time, whatever, that Hunter Johnson or Trevor Lawrence can just show so much potential, so much promise? so much proficiency that they're there, they're ready, that it does become a mid-season controversy battle, what have you. I think that is... a little bit with the running back position. I think that's extremely likely. In fact, I I would bet on it happening, um, but I don't necessarily think Dabo will pull the trigger. Um, I don't don't think it will be a situation like 2014 with Cole Stout and Deshaun uh, Deshaun Watson uh, where it was super obvious... Um, yeah. you know, Bryant obviously has more experience than Stout and he's better than Stout. I think it would take a really, 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 really poor effort from Bryant or just something that you couldn't ignore from Lawrence. But even then, even if it's talent, you can't ignore Bryant has the locker room and uh, we can go 12 and 0 with him without breaking a sweat as it looks right now. I don't really see any, any scenario where Bryant is benched during the season unless the wheels just come off. Right. For sure. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm with you on that one. So we'll see it play out. I mean, I guess Kelly Bryant, is he a championship quarterback? I, I think the, the questions oh, maybe it's who's the matchup quarterback. He won the ACC uh, in convincing fashion. Um, yeah. Question is, I mean, yeah, we, had yeah. A, we had a championship defensive performance in the sugar bowl this year. Uh, likely we'll get one again. So it's better of, really the matchup and also what, what development can he have? What can the offensive coaches learn? But we may have seen the, the ceiling at this point. Right. 
Hopefully not. I mean, you know, there should be improvement from his first year as a starter to the second year. And, uh, you know, I think he'll have a better cast of characters at receiver this year. Um, I don't want to dive in too much into this hill I've been dying on for a year now, but I, I feel like Deion Kane should have been at field and we should have had Overton or Higgins or one of the bigger bodies at boundary, you know, without, without a, a big presence at, at boundary receiver or a competent tight pass catching tight end, you know, it, Deshaun Watson wouldn't have beaten Alabama this year either. Not with, not without Mike Williams, not without Jordan, Jordan Leggett. Um, so, you know, hopefully with Higgins emerging at five or at nine and, you know, Justin Ross too, hopefully, and don't forget Overton um, with, uh, Kendrick coming in at the two with Amari Rogers stepping in with Cornell Powell, hopefully taking a step forward. I feel like those two positions especially will be much better than they were a year ago. It's, it's tough to say that with two five stars departing in Kane and McLeod, but um, I feel like Kane yeah, just clears, clears depth for clears opportunity for yeah. guys that it give does. you little it, more it, options. It's almost like, Hey, I'm, I'm not mad about the roster churn there. Um, which is crazy to say, you know, two five-star upperclassmen departing for the NFL. You don't often say, "Oh, good, I'm, I'm." It's kind of a breath of fresh air because you know they're great players. Don't get me wrong, Ray Ray was great, Dion was great on the go routes and the back shoulders, but that was, you know, that that that's not what you need out of out of a boundary receiver. You need an alpha. You need a new Hopkins or a Mike Williams at that position to just body up on people, yep. and especially against Alabama, we needed that from the tight end position too, and we got neither against them, and you know. And then T went down. So. And yes, once we lost Higgins, it was the game plan was out the window, and it was yeah. it was essentially over. Yeah, I mean, I think if you project ahead, how this offense will look, what to the untrained eye will be different. I think the the dynamicism of the wide receiver position is going to stand out this year, mm -hmm. um, and my hope is we will get tight end contribution in the passing game as well. Uh, uh, I hope so. I don't I don't see anyone on the roster right now. Um, Mylon Richard is he, he's been he's, he's he's struggled I think to put it all together. He's he's got the talent. Uh, he misses blocks and he's not as good a receiving threat obviously as Leggett was. But you know who how many tight ends are honestly. And then there's a logjam behind him of, of bodies that just you know haven't done anything yet. And I, I really feel like the, the staff is just ready to turn the page on most of them, of the, with the uh, exception of Garrett Williams, who is a phenomenal blocker who we, we lacked last year because of the ACL injury. But I'm encouraged to see them offer Brandon Galloway, who's you know essentially a Jordan Leggett clone, uh, needs some you know some size and experience, of course. But hopefully he can you know go on the same trajectory. Because remember, Leggett was a clown when he arrived. He uh, was nothing more than just like, oh, I'll go out there and see what I can do, you know, just whatever. He'll throw the yeah. ball, and I'll run. And then you know three years later, he's a team captain, making the catch of his life on the national championship winning drive. So <laughs> hopefully it's hopefully it's the same uh, trajectory for Brandon Galloway. Yeah, certainly. And it, if that continues to be sort of a, a zero spot for the offense, maybe we do something else with wide receiver formations as well. Get some more of our our stars on the field. Right. Yeah. It, that was the game plan against Alabama. You know, we uh, we brought out the four wide, the, the 10 formation with with Higgins in the slot against South Carolina. And once I saw him trot out there, I was like, oh, boy, look at this. And sure enough. <laughs> There it was, and you know that was really the only mismatch I saw us being able to take advantage of against Alabama when I watched them in the first place. You know, third year in a row of me looking at their defense, so I uh, had a pretty good idea of how they choose to defend. You know, Clemson uh, for the most part, and that was yeah. really the only place where I saw we might be able to, to create a mismatch and throw it deep to him once, and he hurts his knee. I mean, it's 
that kind of goes back to if you if you are outmatched or you don't have the advantages, you don't have the angles, you can't kind of press on the running game, let's say, or oh, yeah. um, you know, tight end that kind of thing. You got to play the high variance plays, and mm-hmm. um, we unfortunately T was that T was our high variance uh, matchup in this game. Yeah, and, no one's going to out scheme Nick Saban. You've got to beat him with with mismatches, like Mike Williams last year, Jordan Lega last year. Those were the mismatches we kept going back to, and you know. When Saban, Saban's guys were getting beat and he couldn't scheme to stop it. This right. year, their guys were beating ours and we couldn't scheme. We couldn't adjust to it. It's, it's you know, people talk about the, the genius of Saban or the genius of Chad Morris or, you know, why didn't we adjust? Well, there were no adjustments to be made, honestly, without without an alpha receiver or a solid pass catching tight end to draw some attention from, from the linebackers and safeties. They were able to just stuff the run and be completely content shading one high safety over to Kane because nobody else was going to do anything downfield. Yeah, so now you introduce, hopefully Higgins is a mainstay. Um, you can spell him with Overton and introduce Ross, Kendrick. Uh, but yeah, I'm with you on seeing a bit more from our Mari Rogers this year as well. Uh, getting getting those playmakers into the offense here, I, don't, I just don't think elsewhere in the receiving core against Bama we, we saw very much at all. Right, right. Unfortunately. It's a, um, it's a big year for, uh, for the receivers to, to emerge from the shadows. You know, there's so many talented bodies and I'm really interested to see how the lineup shakes out. Yeah, I think the last, maybe the last thought on offense, um, I'm going to ask you about the O-line. And do you expect 2018 to be a, a stronger year overall for this team? Hmm, I think so. Mitch Hyatt is back. Uh, Tremaine Ankrum or Sean Pollard should be fine on the right side with another year. Justin Falsonelli blew all my expectations away. I thought he would be the weakest link on the entire offense and he was fantastic. He went through somewhat of a, a Taylor Hearn transformation because beginning of 2016, Hearn was, was god-awful. And then by the end of the year, he's, you know, double, he's, he and, and Guillermo were double-teaming Bama five yards back on a go-ahead touchdown against, you know, late in the game. You know, they ended up taking the lead right back afterwards. But yeah. we go ahead late in the fourth when we just mauled them, and Hearn just pushed them back by himself. And then that was Falsinelli this year. He surpassed all my expectations. Uh, so I mean, the questions this year are at guard. You know, there's we've got to replace Crowder and Hearn. You know, um, John Simpson should fill into one guard position, and then the other one is kind of up for grabs. I mean, is that know. where you you maybe put Jackson Carmen in to get his first year under yeah. his belt? Yeah, I think so. You know, you obviously won't redshirt him because again, if you redshirt a guy who's a five star, uh, the light may come on and he may go pro in three years, and you've wasted his first year. So, yeah, I could see him sliding inside to guard, uh, get, depending on his, his weight. He's got phenomenal athleticism, but uh, I'm not sure what his body looks like right now. Uh, he probably could play some tackle, but there's not a need at tackle as much as there is at guard. And if you right. can play guard, I say put him in there, see what he can do, get him on the field. Yeah, definitely. Start to build that continuity with his, his peer set. Mm-hmm. I mean, a, a common narrative I kept hearing, especially coming out of that Sugar Bowl, was Robbie Caldwell is not the guy, but can't you point to some of the individual development that you talked about just now as evidence of they do take a chunk of clay and they mold them into proficient, you know, national championship contender level O-linemen? Yeah. Well, um, offensive line is what I know the least about, certainly, uh, but I look no further than Taylor Hearn. I never in my wildest dreams thought he would be invited to the NFL Combine. Uh, given where he was, it was against Troy, the season opener in 2016, or first the home opener, I should say. He whiffed. He he 
fell down. He got mauled. He was just overpowered by Troy's nose tackle. It was a comedy of errors from one guy. And it was not just one thing he was doing wrong. He was doing multiple things wrong. And that was why we struggled against Troy so mightily. It was, you know, Deshaun made a few bad reads and forced a few things, but we had no run game really because the offensive line was horrible largely. And Hearn was the primary culprit. And, you know, rewind or fast forward to the end of the year, mid season, he's, you know, blowing people up. He's, he's pulling on, on counter plays better than anyone else on the roster. And then this year he, he was probably our best offensive lineman. Hyatt wasn't right. what he should have been this year. And that's why he came back to school, which is you know, blessing in disguise when you, when you consider it. Yeah. But Hearn was, was the best offensive lineman on the team this year, which is mind boggling considering where he was in September of 2016. Yeah. I know this is a position group that, um, our friend and colleague QT loves to harp on, especially related to bringing in numbers, bringing in talent, roster construction and all that. But um, I just think let's pump the brakes a little bit on uh, getting rid of Robbie Caldwell. I think he's yeah. done a pretty good job. Now he's going to retire at Clemson if we're fortunate. So, Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, why don't we pivot over? I think defense is, uh, it strikes me at least, is your, your passion area of this team. Um, and one of the biggest changes that we'll see – and in addition to trying out, you know, again, a Herculean line, um, it's going to be the turnover at linebacker, particularly mm-hmm. uh, over at the same position with um, Dorian O'Daniel. And look, there's no one on this roster that I'm aware of that is going to step in and give you all the things that he had from um, his coverage ability to, to hang with even wide receivers, let alone tight ends, um, to getting off of blocks, to even he had tremendous interceptions and ball awareness and and ball skills. Um, How do you think this coaching staff will replace some of that production specifically with not how, but who? That is the biggest question I have for this entire season. Forget the team, which position group or forget, you know, offense or defense. This is the biggest question mark for me. Certainly most intriguing um, because Dorian O'Daniel was the best player on the team last year. You know, Wilkins gets all the headlines. You know, everyone loves Christian Wilkins. He's amazing. You know, hilarious. One of the best defensive linemen we've ever had. But the best player on the team last year was Dorian O'Daniel. We were able to split him out in the slot all the time. We almost never had to go nickel because we would just, you know, shift him out wide. Whereas in the past two years, we would shift or switch to a 4-2-5 and replace that Sam linebacker with Mackenzie Alexander or Ryan Carter by, by bumping them in. This year we didn't, or this past year we didn't have to do that because I mean the dude runs a four four and can tackle literally anyone from anywhere, and there is not a player on this roster who can replace him. Uh, you know the, the the inside linebackers and D line are phenomenal; they're solid. But Sam linebacker, uh, looking at the depth chart, it looks pretty bad. You see the senior Jalen Williams, who I mean he's great. He he went to the same high school as me, so of course I want to root for the guy. But there's a reason he was a gray shirt. He is not the answer and neither. So I, well, we don't know this for sure yet, but neither is his backup who is Balin Spector, who we've heard a lot of good things about. He may end up being the de facto starter or I guess not de facto, but the official starter. But I think ultimately the guy who's going to come in and make the impact at that spot is uh, actually Isaiah Simmons, who's listed as a safety. So I doubt we'll actually see him on the depth chart at Sam unless, you know, just the, position or the situation at safety changes right now there's not much depth so he's needed there but I, I feel like Isaiah Simmons is probably the best fit on the roster right now you know he's six foot four 220 he runs like a freaking gazelle 
and he's just a physical monster. Uh, in fact, he might go pro this year just based on measurables, which you wouldn't expect that because he's a redshirt sophomore. He's only played one year, didn't, doesn't have much experience, and he clearly needed a lot more experience last year in certain spots. But physically, he's by far the most capable, and I, I would love to see him get some some opportunity at Sam because you put him in there at Sam, and even if he's like moved into the box, that is the scariest box you will ever see in your life. Trey Lamar, Isaiah Simmons, Kendall Joseph in that front four. I I guess that brings up a good question. If ideally he will be able to be utilized in the nickel Sam, uh, what do you, where do you see the safety position netting out in terms of like Mm. week one or week two, let's call it week two against A&M that starter starting lineup. It'll be, it'll be Muse and, uh, and Kayvon Wallace. And this is actually where we, where we touch on the most surprising, actually the most damaging uh, early departure. It, it's not Deion Kane. It's not if it had been one of the defensive linemen. Uh, it, it's Van Smith because he could play both safety positions and he had two years of experience starting at, at both at each or at one safety position each. Um, he was by far the most important defensive defensive uh, or secondary player we had last year. Um, and, you know, when, when Tanner Muse broke his, broke his hand and was in that club, you know, Muse was benched and we shifted Smith back over to the the weak side, boundary side safety role, and uh, Kayvon Wallace came in on the strong side because Smith played that in 2016, and Jadar Johnson was at strong. Uh, this year, or in 2017, we moved Smith back over to strong and put in Tanner Muse at free. But when Muse went out, um, we shifted Smith back over, and you know Kayvon Wallace came in and, and showed he should have been earning some more snaps. Uh, remember, he, uh, he saved the NC State game pretty much single-handedly there, those last two plays, because uh, Jalen Samuels went on a, went on a – a seam route and got past O'Daniel, the shocker, I know. And uh, Wallace was there to clean up at the goal line and force the incompletion. Then next play, uh, intercepts the ball at the goal line or just short of it and runs it back. Um, so safety is without a doubt going to be Kayvon Wallace and Tanner Muse. Um, the only question there is could Simmons perhaps supplant Muse? Uh, I would say I would, you know, would hope for that because he's got more upside, but I want Simmons at Sam. So if you're asking me what I think the best starting 11 would be, we know who it is on the front four, of course. Kendall Joseph at Will, Trey Lamar at Mike, Isaiah Simmons at Sam, and then boundary corner, of course, Trayvon Mullen, free safety, Tanner Muse, strong safety, Kayvon Wallace. Field corner is a bit of a toss-up right now. I'll go with Mark Fields, uh, maybe uh, maybe A.J. Terrell if he cross-trains. Um, but I'll, I'll take, a, take a, a, leap of, a leap of faith on Mark Fields right now. But yeah, safety is, uh, you know, at, at the starter, we've got three good safeties in Simmons, Muse, and Wallace. But beyond that, inexperience and question marks. So the defensive backfield is not very deep this year. Um, so it's fortunate we have a ferocious front four <laughs> to protect them a bit. Yeah, and a front six and a half, let's call it as well. Yeah, six and a half. Linebacking core. Yeah, I think that's going to be, when you think about, you know, as a common fan watching this defense play, um, I don't know how much more you can expect out of a D line than we got a year ago, but I actually think you will get more, especially you know when you when you start to look down the depth chart, bring in Xavier Thomas in particular, it's just gonna oh, be insane. God. So, oh. uh, it, yeah, uh, I, I also don't see a, a quarterback on our schedule. Maybe Mond in A and M is going to be interesting. You know, it's kind of a, a shifty runner, but um, yeah, we'll see how far James Blackman can progress. 
or Francois continues mm, to be the starter there. Back. Yeah, it, Ryan Finley's the guy who who comes to mind first for me at NC State. The thing is, he's going to be pretty much all alone this year because he lost yeah. you know, his entire cast of characters on offense and defense. Yeah, um, and he doesn't have the arm strength really. He's just a distributor, and they took what we gave them last year and almost beat us. They they really took what we gave them beautifully, and. I, I just don't think he can do it alone this year like he was able to do last year, it seemed. <laughs> yeah, I think in addition to the skill position, I think they also lose some line depth as well. So Yeah, yeah NC um, State loses a ton. And that's that's why Dave Dorn was so mad. He knew this was his this was his window. Or 2017 was his window. He had the best roster probably ever assembled at that school. And what do they have to show for it? Third place in the comfort in the division, second place, third place. Mm. Gotta upgrade their laptops, man. Ooh. Mm. Uh, well, if it was up to Ryan Cantor, we wouldn't even mention NC State. <laughs> so let's move on from them. Uh, they're irrelevant, according to RK. Ryan will enjoy um, the part when we're hating on them a little bit, right? Definitely. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I mean, I guess we touched a little bit about what you're looking for in the spring. Obviously, I think that what we see out of the rest of the QB depth chart is going to be compelling. Um, is there any, are there any kind of position like depth chart? Um, let's call it surprises that you that you think might unfold? Hmm. I think the biggest position battle outside of the, you know, receiver rotation uh, shaking itself out, which again, you know, that we rotate so much there that the starter really is. Yeah. We get like 11, 12 guys. Yeah. 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 So I think field corner is the biggest concern. You know, I said, Sam is the most intriguing just because there are so many options there and we don't know how it will shake out. I think it'll be Spectre or, or Simmons. I don't think uh, Jalen Williams is the answer there. Um, but field corner is where I have the most concern because we lost Ryan Carter, who could play, what, three or four different positions in the defensive backfield. And, you know, Mark Fields is a senior now, but he's been uh, – I don't even know if inconsistent is, is, is adequate. I don't know if that, that might even be too good of a, a way to describe it, uh, the way his performance has been. Um, because that would require at least some consistency to say he's injured. Right. And this past season, you know, certainly was had some injury to mm-hmm. to deal with. Um, but yeah, it's he has yet to put together, you know, a several game stretch of uh, lockdown or even you know reliable uh, consistency. So right, right. So field corner, uh, you know, the secondary depth as a whole is not good, but specifically field corner, I don't know who's going to start there. I will certainly need to cross train. Uh, you know, Trayvon Mullen is is the guy at boundary corner. A.J. Terrell was phenomenal as his backup, phenomenal for a freshman. So I would be totally fine if we flipped him over to field side and said, take it and run with it, go. And then we've got two six-foot-two corners. Hey, I'm fine with that. So, yeah, Terrell or Fields. I think Clemson, from a, developing its players and grooming the depth chart, need to really be keeping the focus on Alabama um, oh, as yeah. – uh, who you need to be overcoming. And I equated it to uh, the Cavs and other teams in the NBA trying to match up against the Golden State Warriors, what they bring to the table. Yeah, that's uh, that's exactly how how it is right now. Um, even in the ACC, you know, we were chasing Florida State. We built our roster to beat them. Now everyone's doing that to us. And, you know, we did the same thing with Alabama, uh, especially <laughs> looking at, at the you know, after the 2015 game, we thought, you know, I feel like we had the roster that would have beaten them that year if we had Mike Williams or Deion Kane available. Um, but, you know, we, there's a, I think there's a phrase that Bama uses. They say built by Bama uh, whenever they get a recruit 
And it, it's similar at Clemson. You know, we, we attract the same type of um, talent, you know, usually a different sort of profile, but it's, it's got the same goal in mind. You know, we want um, to really just dominate at each position, uh, particularly in the trenches. It doesn't matter the scheme and uh, defensively, especially we're going for the same type of player just to enforce our will on the other. And, you know, Bama was who we modeled our, our program after. I mean, Look at, look at Bama's fingerprints all over it, not just Dabo Sweeney, but a lot of the, the staff he's brought in from, from Alabama. Um, I mean, even the support staff, Thad Turnipseed, Dabo poached him from Saban himself and said, what do we need to do to build this program in the image that Alabama has been successful with? And Thad said, all right, well, what do you need me to do? <laughs> like, what? Like, blank check? And Dabo said, sure, pretty much. And, you know, he just... Yeah. He built the recruiting office from the ground up, essentially, and modernized it. And now everyone's chasing us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that in addition, when we think about the just from the program development, they've set the gold standard. Clemson now, in a way, is tried emulating and innovating in its own way. Uh, the culture in the in the team and the continuity with the coaching staff, I think, is where we vary from Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Social media, there's tons out there for how much turnover Bama's coaching staff has been, but really it begins and ends with Nick Saban. I think you could say the same thing about the Patriots with Bill Belichick, but yeah, um, we're good friends. Definitely. I mean, when I when I think about facing off against the 2018 Alabama Crimson Tide, though, it's really about Tua and the the receivers that are going to be replacing Calvin Ridley. Um, they got a lot of contributions from true freshmen in that national championship game against Georgia, and mm-hmm pull that game out somehow. Um, so again, it's going to be, they've turned over some coaches, but I don't expect that um, the train to slow down too much. Um, so we're going to need to get contributions throughout. And I think they, with Tua, they will find a way to find your weakness in the secondary. I know that's the point we were making starting this, this line, right. of, line of thought, but I, I um, agree. that's where you do need to have uh, AJ Terrell come in and, by that point, you know, it'll be his second full season on the, on the roster as a five-star coming in. Hopefully by that point, he's rested control of that cornerback um, position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm with you there. Unless, unless fields really steps it up in this last year or someone else. I mean, goodness, I don't have the cornerback depth chart in front of me, but there aren't many, many experienced bodies there. Right. And that's also, I mean, it's an area where we did see Trayvon Wallen as a true freshman get snaps, get on the field, make an impact somewhat in our title run. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's you, you don't want to have to rely on that. You don't want to pencil that in as getting those contributions, especially not against, you know, top team in the country. Of course not. Um, good stuff, Alex. Well, uh, I might want to wrap this up here by asking you just, you know, Clemson fans, the offseason, you probably are not covering film day in, day out, of course. But um, where do you kind of put the run we've been on into, into perspective as a lifelong Clemson fan? Ooh, it's by far the best era in our history. Um, I was ready to say that, gosh, <laughs> pretty early in 2015, you know, because we had, I think, three or four consecutive 10 win seasons by that point, which doesn't sound that great. But when you compare it to the 80s, yeah. In the 80s, the ACC was nothing. It was Clemson and occasionally Maryland, occasionally NC State. Actually, no, not NC State. Just kidding. Uh, occasionally UNC. <laughs> uh, then Florida State came in, and of course that changed it. But this era has been far more competitive in the sense we had to play against a much tougher ACC 
And it's much tougher to win nationally. You know, there's far more parity. And we're uh, playing the likes of Notre Dame. Uh, exactly. You know, yeah. We, we challenged ourselves way Auburn. more than we did in the 80s. And then, then, you know, we got to the national title game. And I was like, yep, by far best era, even if we lose. Didn't win it. Um, then, of course, the next year we did. And that was like, okay, no one can, no one can deny it now. It's, it's by far. This is, these are Clemson's glory days. And anyone who argues against it is <laughs> – they're still stuck in the 80s, which that's a shame because this is way better. And hey, it's clean too. <laughs> clean, well, um, you know, as clean as it can be. Yeah, and you know, you're certainly you are in the backyard. Um, certainly, we know where the little brother school stands as well. Um, mm. We're about to rattle off a five year streak of our own. We which are feels pretty good. So, yeah, I'm um, glad I got out of that town just in time for their streak to start. I, uh, I, you know, I graduated from high school in the Columbia area in 2009. So, you know, I escaped, didn't go back. But it's nice to uh, know that we're about to rectify that with a five-year streak of our own here in nine months. Yep, nine short months. We'll be here before we know it. Well, um, thank you so much, Alex, for coming on. Anything else you wanted to cover, Clemson or Game of Thrones or otherwise? <laughs> uh, Game of Thrones is a longer off-season than Clemson right now. It's, um, it's true. What have Which you, oh. I'm happy about. I, I don't want to wait that long for, for our football. Oh, goodness. I would lose my mind. You know, I'm so busy in the fall, but I prefer it. And I always think, huh, what will I do this off season? But I've been pretty busy this off season too. So nice. Well, uh, you're working on any any posts over at SCS? Uh yeah, we're uh, working on just a spring position primer for each each spot. I'm doing safeties. Um, really, I, I was thinking, huh, what will I do this year as far as like instructional writing? And then I thought, well, if anything I do is just going to be redundant because I, I did all that two years ago and I don't see how I could do any better than I did two years ago. That sounds awful to, to admit, I know, but, um, I'll probably just have to go back through stuff I wrote a couple years ago about, you know, like a four, three over front or linebacker keys or even more in depth on, you know, the third down dime defense, but yeah, you have redundant because I did that. But yeah, I'll, I'll brainstorm some, some new things. If you've got any anything you want me to explore, I'll look into it, do some research, and hammer out a thousand words or so with plenty yeah. of plenty of gifs and memes just to make you chuckle. Well, why don't we uh, throw that out there to our listeners? Yeah. Uh, if you guys have any any schematic questions you want Alex to break down from a film standpoint or any other way, uh, hit him up on Twitter. Alex, what's your what's your handle? Oh uh, well, see, I'm hiding in plain sight with uh, not Alex Craft. Some people go private. I just, you know, use some some sleight of hand misdirection. Got it. Well, uh, definitely a compelling follow there and elsewhere. So uh, thanks so much, Alex. Appreciate you coming on. Yeah. And as always, go well, Tigers. Be back. That's right. Thanks, buddy. We'll talk soon. Take care.